Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm... Okay, sorry. I was expecting you to say four so I know. <laughs> I got, got thrown. <laughs> I was feeling concise. <laughs> and I'm Rachel Wren. The first reading for January 31st, 2021 is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 20. Hopefully you're not feeling quite as concise as we are today, um, because we have some great insights for you. Uh, Tim, where are we at in Deuteronomy? Oh, that's actually a really good question because this little excerpt from Deuteronomy is lifted from the book by the RCL without much concern for its context. It's that little note where Moses assures the people that someday God will raise up another prophet like him. And situated in the season of Epiphany, this comes in a series of first readings that the lectionary has identified as sort of like looking ahead to the revelation of Jesus as God's Messiah. Mm-hmm. The quick jump to JC. That's right. That's right. Which, uh, of course, is not a terrible thing. I mean, in many ways, Jesus is a prophet like Moses, especially in the sort of typological sense of leading God's people out of bondage to sin and into freedom. I think that's really a legitimate theological move to make. But it's not the only or even the primary meaning to be had from this Deuteronomy passage. Yeah. So before Jesus comes on the scene, there were other leaders who picked up the baton from Moses that he might have been referencing. Um, Joshua, for one, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, that's probably the most straightforward reading of this little notice. Moses says, I won't be with you all forever, but when I'm gone, God will give you another leader who can hear God's voice and direct the people to follow it. It was Moses from the south. (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) Egypt is down south, right? Right. Yeah, sure. And sure enough, at the end of Deuteronomy and into the book of Joshua, Josh gets that mantle. And the, the shape of the literature is quite deliberate about mirroring Moses in its portrayal of Joshua. So he is a prophet like Moses. That makes sense. But this passage kind of seems to be a little more general in its perspective. Like it's talking about prophecy and prophets in more of the the role or the office, um, not just like passing the baton to Joshua. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think you're right. This passage takes that immediate need for a successor to Moses and expands it to say something about the prophetic office in general. And that's actually how the subject comes up in context. Okay, flesh out some of that context for us. What's the larger context that leads us into this prophetic office conversation? Yeah, yeah, sure. This little section in Deuteronomy isn't an independent thought. It's part of a discussion that begins in the previous paragraph about avoiding the customs of the Canaanites when they eventually get there. The concern here is about maintaining a distinctive identity in the promised land and not getting sucked into assimilation. And all of that's framed in theological language. Um, I mean, let me, let me read some of that. This is starting in verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you must not learn to imitate the abhorrent practices of those nations. No one shall be found among you who makes a son or daughter pass through fire, or who practices divination, or is a soothsayer, or an augur, or a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or who consults ghosts or spirits, or who seeks oracles from the dead. For whoever does these things is abhorrent to the Lord. It's because of such abhorrent practices that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You must remain completely loyal to the Lord your God. Although these nations that you are about to dispossess 
do give heed to soothsayers and diviners. As for you, the Lord your God does not permit you to do so. So, so the local practices in view here are the ones that have to do with forms of ancient Near Eastern prophecy, communication with the gods. <laughs> Prophets weren't unique to Israel. This was part of the structure of ancient society. But Deuteronomy wants to paint a picture of Israelite prophecy that makes it unique and totally distinct from their neighbor's practices. Okay, so, so Moses is saying that for you all, you chosen people of God, God will raise a prophet like me. In other words, not a prophet like the other people that you're going to see around you. That's it. You've got it. This passage is meant to distinguish Israelite prophets from the rest and to legitimize that office within Israel. When you think about it, it's a, it's a pretty thin line to walk. If you're the author of Deuteronomy, you've got to delegitimize divination in general on the one hand, but then on the other hand, you've got to argue against those who would lump Israelite prophets in with the rest. And then on the third hand, Israel themselves had a variety of prophets saying different things. So you have to find a way to sort out even the insiders. It's, it's really a puzzle. So this is like when you put a little little test in the hot tub to tell you where the, the bromine level is, or, or like a litmus test. This is a litmus test for prophecy, right? Yes, yes. In, in fact, um, this takes us a little bit beyond the lectionary, but in verses 21 to 22, that's where it goes on to say that you can tell a legit prophet from a phony with a simple little test. If what they say happens, then you should listen to them. If it doesn't, then they're a false prophet. Yeah, and I think at the end of verse 20, it says that they should be executed too, right? That's, that's what it says there. Okay, so this is really interesting, but how does this preach? What, what would you suggest for preachers tackling this text? Yeah, well, there is definitely a significant historical and cultural gap between us and the world of this text. Competing modes of divination are not pressing concerns for us except perhaps by some shoestring analogies. And the specifics about the office of quote-unquote prophet in this text seem to be situated pretty firmly in Israel's own historical moment. But I think that there are some theological leanings in this text that bear reflection and can be meaningful for us as well. The first thing that I know is that the God portrayed in this text is a communicative God. Now, the contrast that Deuteronomy makes between Israelite and Canaanite prophecy might have some rhetorical exaggeration in it, but part of what they're trying to say, I think, is that while the gods of the nations need to be sort of induced to communicate via all sorts of divinatory practices, the God of Israel is eager to communicate and won't leave the people without an intermediary to faithfully communicate God's words. In, in fact, verse 16 recalls the revelation at Mount Horeb when God offered to speak directly to the people. But out of fear, they insisted that Moses be an intermediary. Mm -hmm. So there's really something about the generosity of God in this text, about God's willingness and eagerness to be in communication with the people. So you're saying that God is chatty is the point of this text in some, a certain sense. <laughs> yes, God is, God is quite <laughs> chatty in this passage. <laughs> In a generous sort of way. Yes, yes. God wants, to, God wants to talk to us. And really, I think that's a preachable message about God's character, God's sort of disposition towards us. And, and for what it's worth, I tend to major in those kinds of things in my own preaching. 
I think that congregations hear enough about what we're supposed to be doing, but not enough about who God is, what God's like, and what God thinks of them. Mm. This is also a place Mm. in Christian congregations where Jesus fits pretty naturally into the picture. Not only is Jesus a quote-unquote prophet like Moses, in the words of this passage, Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. We're, we're delving into a mystery here, but Christian faith receives Jesus as a gracious communication of God's love to the world. What God wants to say to us, God said in Jesus, in his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection, that's uh, in, in a way, the message of the transfiguration, uh, when we get to that mm. in, in the Christian year, the voice from heaven that says, listen to him. Mm. And, and really, that's one of the central tasks of the Christian faith. Yeah, I love that idea. I think you're right, because I think listening to God is one of the central tasks. Um, but in prayer, a lot of times we think about talking to God. Um, so this could be a really interesting sermon about prayer being listening to God. Um, you might even want to Try inviting people to to pull out a little scrap of paper or open up a note on their phone and have them write dear and then their name. And then think about what God might say if God were to write a letter or to have some sort of spoken communication to them. Get their imaginations into it of, of what God might be saying to them in this moment, in this text. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that in a way that's more than just a creative exercise. Um, I mean, I, I come from a tradition where listening prayer is pretty central. Yeah. And this is the the kind of text that emphasizes that God is wanting to speak to us. One definition of prayer is just opening our ears to listen. Mm. Well, and that's it's kind of funny because that's not only um, invited by this text, but it's sort of implied that there's a responsibility to listen in this text too, isn't there? There, there is, and in fact, um, that's that's a big part of this text. Uh, one of the key words in the passage. Um, both in the lectionary text and in the paragraph before, is the Hebrew word shama, listen, mm-hmm. hear, heed. Again, here's, here's verse 14. It says, Although these nations that you're about to dispossess do give heed to soothsayers and diviners, as for you, the Lord your God does not permit you to do so. That, that word give mm-hmm. heed is the Hebrew word shama. And it comes nice. up again in verse 16 and again in verse 19. Don't listen to the soothsayers and diviners, but do listen to my prophets, or at least the ones that truly speak for me. (laughs) And and verse 19 insists that those who disregard God's true prophets, that is, those who don't shama them, will (laughs) be held accountable. To disregard the prophet is to disregard God. By the same token, the prophets themselves are also held accountable at the cost of their life to faithfully transmit God's words to the people. (laughs) So coming across that gap of time and culture, there still is a message here, I believe, about about where we shama, whom we heed, what messengers and messages we pay attention to and follow. (laughs) In a word, this is a call to discernment. And it's a message that I think is sharply relevant in our age of fake news and conspiracy theories and costly, deathly misinformation, especially when it's doled out by those who claim to speak for and represent God. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think this passage in Deuteronomy provides uh, like a whole sort of how-to manual on discernment, but it does lay out the gravity of the stakes. 
when God's people follow the soothsayers of the land, so to speak, they risk losing their identity as people who bear God's presence in the world. So it's worthwhile for congregations, for church families, to develop practices of godly discernment so that together we can be a prophetic voice in the world. So in any case, those, those two angles, God's eagerness to be present and communicative, along with our responsibility toward that word of truth, those are the exegetical foundations for, I think, what could be a really meaningful sermon on this text. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Especially, like you said, when listening and believing and information and who is telling the truth has become such a contested issue. Um, it's worthwhile to sit and try to listen to what the Word of God might be telling us about that. So, And then to discern that in community. Yeah. Well, beloved community, we hope that was helpful for you today. Um, I know it was helpful for me, and I think that your congregants would enjoy and benefit from hearing a sermon based on those two topics. So take it and run with it. Um, as you run with it, perhaps run past our Facebook page and leave us a message or subscribe or like on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And um, if possible, tell one friend, tell your grandma about this. Your grandma <laughs> needs more Bible in her life. You know she does. She'd appreciate it. Plus, she'd just love to hear from you. In any case, until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks so much for listening.